Welcome to Why Did Peter Sink? This episode's called Filling the Formless Void. Uh, this is a series, part 19 of Whole, Both Body and Soul. It's Why I'm Catholic, part 19. We're continuing on the topic of chastity today, everyone's favorite thing. So in sales, when you have to sell a lemon, and you know it's a lemon, and the buyer knows it's a lemon, then as a salesperson, you must recraft the story for the second sale, or it will never happen. Bad products require a really good story, and one that gets retold and retold again, and again, and again. For instance, how else would Coca-Cola make an entire nation obese and continue to sell that same product without relentless marketing? How else would Bud Light sell a watered-down, tasteless slop without funny ads that convince children it's cool. With a good story and one that is constantly updated, no one has to feel like a fool for buying it the first time or the thousandth time. The trick is keeping up the smoke and mirrors so that the buyers feel in the club. They're in the club. People don't want to admit, undo, or take action against prior bad decisions, so a fresh, shiny story helps reaffirm a poor choice. An ever-changing, shape-shifting narrative is essential to this strategy because rather than feeling stupid and admitting something is a bad product and bad choices were made, we just modify the story. Surely the crafted story will insist to you something just wasn't quite right the first time. Uh, This time it will be better. This time the bugs are fixed. Version 2.0 is improved. The installation, maybe, was done incorrectly. Uh, The product wasn't tuned properly. This time, the springs won't break and the bottom won't rust out. The first time, a terrible idea was bought by the human race, by all of us, happened in the Garden of Eden. That's why the story is told. Eating the fruit, it was said, would make the people like gods, but it didn't, so this was a faulty product. It was a bad sale. It was based on a lie for a product that couldn't deliver what was promised. The fruit only led to sin and more problems. But the devil is a relentless salesman with an apparent quota and a target number, quarterly number he tries to hit. So he comes back with new pitches for the same old awful product all the time. Since we are humans and we're curious and because we hate to admit that we're suckers, we give him another chance. And in recrafting the story, he returns with something of interest, something different than a fruit to sell us the same rotten garbage each time. So in modern times, a reverse Garden of Eden happened where for men, for many men, women became the fruit and consuming her would make men like gods. The same fall happened all over again because when you eat from the tree of knowledge instead of the tree of life, you get sick. So instead of loving, respecting, and supporting women through sickness and death for richer or poorer until death do us part, men opted for quickies and no responsibility whatsoever. But we did not become like gods through that either. We became estranged from them because we forgot that they are the crown of creation. As we said, the finishing touch on this world that's in the creation story. We be, so men become islands instead of joined together with women. And because of this choice, many men became divorcees, uh, isolated in apartments, separated from our wives and children, broken homes, and lost because we or our parents bought the lie that monogamy and chastity could not possibly make us happy, when it is only virtues like that that can ever make you happy because they bring us closer to God. 
When men stopped believing that they are joined in the flesh with their wives in marriage, they stopped leaving their families and cleaving to their wives. I don't think most men today have even heard of the leave and cleave idea. I certainly hadn't. No one ever gave me a leave and cleave sit-down chat because most people had forgotten it or never heard of it. The TV certainly was not teaching it. If anything, the TV was shouting for divorce and birth control and abortion. There are so many stories of men coming to their own weddings in the 1970s or 80s drunk that it's no wonder that the state we're in. Since treating a sacrament like the bachelor party invalidates the ceremony. This is why American culture is in the state it's in. That's why it's dying. But this is not really a bad thing in its current form. You can tell which way a nation is heading uh, by whether it leads citizens toward God or away from him. And ours is obviously leading people away. If cultural practices and laws attempt to block or silence God, then God will indeed withdraw from the nation and he lets in the chaos. God's grace is available, but when media and politicians actively put up smoke screens, God will allow it. He, he will allow it. He will allow us to go astray. But he'll just pop up later once the chaos ensues and say, here I am. The only thing a culture can do to God is attempt to hide him, but his presence punches through regardless to those who he calls. Like he says, my sheep will hear my voice. And as for our faltering society, which is bent on self-worship, it's not much of a culture to speak of anyway when the American centerpieces are money and power, which we mislabel as liberty. The pitch, the demonstration, and the sale of Americanism has played itself out. The shiny product of Jeffersonian democracy turned out to be a lemon, just like the fruit in the garden, and the only thing propping it up for the last 250 years has been Christendom. And until that returns, things are going to keep getting worse. The last days of America will be chaotic because that's the exact result of life without God. But one thing is amazing about America is it does find a way to turn back to God. It, it often has. We've seen it throughout history. So the game is not over. The, you know, things could change. It could be like Jonah going to Nineveh and all of a sudden people change. They repent. Um, the funny thing about this attempt to normalize and celebrate immorality is that it just brings us back to an old familiar place. The next generations will come to know the same conditions that made the world ripe for Jesus and the apostles to change the world. And perhaps the most radical thing of all that was preached was chastity. Now, chastity is not a flaw in Christianity. It did not bring some gray pall over the world where sex is bad. It's actually one of the main reasons why early Christianity took off, because it is self-denial, not self-affirmation, that frees us from personal slavery to sin. And everybody knows that, but it's hard to admit. In the birth of Christianity, women led much of the charge. So starting on the first day, starting with Mary Magdalene at the tomb, women are the first to find the risen Jesus before the stubborn and fearful men do. Like Mary Magdalene, women lead men to faith. Or like Eve, they can easily lead men away. Why? Because we want women and follow, and we will follow them. Women tend to find the meaning of Jesus before men, and this is how millions of men end up in churches to this day. Rest, rest assured that many men are in those horribly sexist churches on Sunday under orders from their wife. 
They are rousted from bed to get dressed for getting to church because women often understand Jesus and need and the need for a savior more readily than men. Now, the sanctity of marriage was real among practicing Christians in the first centuries, and it still is. In the Roman world, however, marriage was a joke, as it is in secular America now. No-fault divorce is one of the most anti-Christian developments in the Western world, but it is nothing new. Jesus admonished his own people in his own time for disrespecting marriage, talking about Moses, how he allowed divorce because the people were hard-hearted. So whenever I hear that Christianity doesn't respect women, this is a statement that is a naked rejection of facts from history and the story of the gospel. My own college history textbook stated that Islam treated women with more respect than Christianity. The main thing I learned in college, really, if I had to distill down my freshman year, was that is this Christianity bad. That's what I learned, especially for women. But reading the history of the church, especially the early church, that doesn't fit at all. The, I mean, the thing is, you actually have to read these old documents. You can't just ingest a video from a YouTube influencer who hates the church because his uncle was mean or nod at a modern academics portrayal because he had to pick a thesis on Marxist equity that would get accepted by the journalists. You have to go read the sources. And I know that no one wants to do that. We just want a funny cat video and a, you know, a couple characters and a, some political argument. Okay, so the church was led by the apostles, but it was filled by women. It's worth noting that the creation story in Genesis 1 follows a pattern where the, quote, formless void from the very first sentence of the Bible has a three-day period of making the form of construction and architecture. And the second three-day period fills that house with beings. The church also was a formless void on the first day that Jesus rose from the tomb, which needed structure first, and then it had to be filled with people. Pentecost is the let there be light moment where the structure of the church is formed in the apostles who appointed bishops, but a church of merely apostles and bishops would be an empty and lonely church. It'd be just an empty place, just as the creation of galaxies and stars and planets would be boring without filling the void. You need form and things, people, beings. A beautiful church has an architecture and form, but without anyone going inside and singing and worshiping, what's the point? Now, this is important. Notice that once God completes the first three days of architecting things, and after filling the earth with plants and animals, he creates people, man. And in the first chapter of Genesis, he creates man and woman at the same time. But in chapter two, there's a critical thing to notice about how he completes and caps this great project of creation. The last thing created is woman like the finishing touch on a great work of art. In other words, all of the architecture of the first three days and all of the creatures and things in the second three days, including the man, Adam, are, are complete with, they're not quite complete without the glorious masterstroke of woman. So it's important to understand because if Jews and Christians hated women so much, then why is the crown of all creation, Eve, a woman? Why is that? Why is that? The problem we have is that we don't venerate women nearly as much as we should, and anyone, anyone that misunderstands the veneration of Mary in the church is missing this point, that womanhood and the gift of motherhood and marriage are utterly sacred parts of humanity, the likes of which we cease to exist without. So you have to ask yourself a few things whenever you hear that the church hates women. So I have a series of questions, about six of them here, maybe more. 
If the church hates women so much, then why was the early church inundated with women converts? If the church hates women so much, why were the Gospels written showing Mary Magdalene as the first person to see the risen and glorified Jesus? If the church hates women so much, then why did so many women in the early church want to have a Christian husband? If the church hates women so much, then why was marriage to one man and one woman for life so important to both men and women? If the church hates women so much, then why did women get to participate in Christian worship from the beginning when they didn't get to in any other religion? If the church hates women so much, then why are they involved with so many parts of administration and education at churches? They are the lifeblood of the churches. If the church hates women so much, then why are half of the feast days named after women? And if the church hates women so much, then why do we have so many saints that are women? Why do we have so many hospitals and buildings and all of these celebrations around women? An answer to all of, all of these questions is simple. The answer is that the church does not hate women. The idea of complementarity is anything but hateful. It's reality. The other reality of men treating women poorly also has a simple answer, because men do treat women poorly. And the answer is this. Sin is real. Fallen men and women find bad patterns of living. And one of those patterns is the overly macho persona that spawned the likes of Burt Reynolds in the 1980s and various other ones beyond that and, of course, before that. He kind of marks to me the pinnacle of the Playboy era and the end of the macho era. Um, it's now naturally rebounding because of that excess um, into revenge, and now we have macho women. So it's really strange what's going on, but you can see it. It makes sense when you really look at the scope of the last 70 years. Now, if you've ever balanced tires, I'm talking tires that go on your car, or you've watched a mechanic do it, you can see how this happens. When an unbalanced tire spins on a machine, they get violent. And as we all know, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, which we learned in seventh grade science class. To resolve the unbalance in a tire, you have to stop the machine, reset, hammer some weights into specific spots on the rim, and restart it. So it takes a little work. It takes action. And even a little pain to stop and fix things, to look at things and say, what is going on? This thing is out of balance. We have to reset. But you have to stop the machine or it will throw out the bearing. Um, we're nearing a point where the whole machine breaks down because we're spinning violently and blaming each other when the problem is the lack of balance in our relationships. And that actually is what happens in the garden when uh, the man and woman have enmity between each other. That's what they're talking about is they're blaming each other. Adam blames Eve. Eve's mad at him. And that's what you get because they're not having a relationship together they're not having God above their relationship and their marriage being the centerpiece between them of the sacred, sacred thing. So if you understand the concept of the fall of man, you will understand why we have sin and suffering. You will understand that there is sin that offends God and physical sin that causes suffering. We tend to only focus on the physical and mental suffering here while we completely ignore the massive tumor of spiritual sin that weighs us down. Whenever women are disrespected, like in our modern culture today, where we pretend they're not, but they actually are, you, we have forgotten that every human is made in the image and likeness of God, the imago Dei, and more specifically, we have taken our eyes off of Christ. When we started to sink in the water, just as Peter did, 
that's that's what's happening. We're sinking. We took our eyes off him. The great question of this blog, why did Peter sink of this podcast, is centered around this, and it applies to this. To accuse the church of being anti-woman is to ignore history as well as Christ's life, life itself. Um, yes, many men in history have disrespected women. But disrespecting women is no more of a church document doctrine than geocentrum ever was. So just as Copernicus and Galileo didn't disprove the faith and morals of the church by placing Earth somewhere in the universe, not at the center, neither has your angry uncle's treatment of his wife changed the faith and morals of the church either. Disrespecting women is not a position of the church, and it never has been. The fact that the apostles were men is not disrespecting women. It's just that Jesus formed his church that way. If he had selected 12 women as his apostles, then the church would be structured that way. So if you go back to the formless void of creation, which is a critical two-word term in the Bible in the beginning, note again that in creation, God first makes structure and then populates and fills it with living things. In the first chapter of the Bible, we see the mode of creation that God uses, which is to architect and build the house, and then he fills the house with plants, animals, and people. So whether you believe in six-day fundamentalist creation, or you believe in theistic evolution, or even atheistic evolution, we all know, we all know that the world was created before living things filled it. Whether you believe that the first bacteria came from an asteroid or from the finger of God, there's no denying that the structure in which bacteria could live had to exist prior to bacteria performing the very first act of mitosis and splitting into two bacterias. Bacteriae? I don't know. I'm not sure what the plural is on that. The formation of the church happened like this as well. Jesus creates his church by choosing apostles, and suddenly there is a structure, a form. But with a mere 12 people, this form has no living things in it other than the 12. Bishops and priests alone do not make up the church. It doesn't even seem a stretch to me to see Pentecost, the day that the tongues of fire touched the apostles and Mary, who were praying, as the moment of let there be light in the universe. That was the let there be light moment in the church. I've often felt that the light made much sense in the idea of the Big Bang, in this concept of, a, of fire, uh, while simultaneously meaning light as in the act of creation itself, the idea of creation. Pentecost was the Big Bang of the Christian story as, as it exploded from Jerusalem as critical mass was reached in, the prayer, in prayer in the upper room when the tongues of fire touched the apostles. I'm going to wrap this episode up here, but we have several more to go on the topic of chastity because it's so fun to talk about. Who doesn't love chastity? I know. Most people don't, but once you have the light turn on and you see what Jesus is, who he is, then the rules all start to make sense. The joy in living will strike you. I promise, keep praying, keep doing it, and we'll see you on the next episode.